Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome back to the Performance Matters Podcast, sponsored by GP Strategies, the world's leading consulting learning services and talent technology company. Okay, that's a fairly bold claim, but you know what? Year in and year out, GP backs it up. In fact, May I share some factoids with you in terms of global instructor-led and virtual instructor-led training delivery? Last year, GP delivered learning content to over 200 million people. It sounds like monopoly money, but it's true. We have over 6,000 customers involved with training delivery. And last year alone, on an in-person basis, delivered training to over 1 million people. Now, the second component there we talked about was technology, talent development technologies. We have over 50 million end users enjoying the benefits of our software platforms. In total, there are over 5,000 employees involved in GP strategies over 35 countries. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind boggling stuff. It really is. Now, the third component of the GP strategies, what I'm gonna call professional services trifecta, is in the area of consulting. So GP has broad and deep consulting expertise in an astonishing variety of industries and focal points. And to prove it, today we're gonna focus on the world of consulting in the area of maintaining business continuity. Here to share insight on this incredibly important aspect of organizational performance is our very own Joe LaFleur. Joe, how are you doing today, sir? Mike, uh, nice to be with you. Thank you very much. Well, we're really honored to have you here. So I'm going to make sure that I get your title correct here. Um, I did a little LinkedIn stalking on you, sir, and it is a very long title. It's very impressive. So I'm, can I just give it a shot first and you can correct me? Please, please take your best shot. <laughs> I want to hear what you think. Joe LaFleur is our director for corporate crisis management programs business continuity, and IT emergency response teams. How did I do there, Joe? You uh, touched all the hot buttons, Mike. Good job for opening it up for me. Oh, thank you. So it, it really is astonishing. When I look at the range of consulting services and technology and learning services, the fact is we are, we're really in everything, but it's important to know that in each of these segments, we have experts like yourself that function as really special operations teams with broad and deep expertise here. So Joe, before we get started about this topic, um, I, I would just really invite you to share a couple of um, fun factoids about you. What we're trying to do in this past year is really just really peel back some of the professional layers and let individuals know a little bit about backgrounds before we get into the nitty gritty. So I'm gonna challenge you, what's one fun personal fact about Mr. Joe LaFleur? Well, the fun fact uh, would be that uh, after I got my MBA in uh, out of the state of Wisconsin, I became an assistant football coach at the University of Southern Colorado. So that's that's fun, and uh, I think it's important to the topic in the sense, besides some expertise, that everybody needs to cheerlead on this business continuity crisis management area because we see it all the time. We see it in GP strategies. We see it in our, our largest global clients, wherever they are. They have crisis management programs 
They want to know what we're doing in that area. They audit us on our plans sometimes. They want to know that we're doing exercises. And I think those are all things that uh, you might be interested in today. We'll keep that cheerleading concept and emphasis going here. Now, I also understand that you have a fun professional did-you-know factoid. Would you mind sharing a little bit of that background with the global listening audience? Well, thank you uh, for recognizing that. Yes, the fun fact... uh, is that I was uh, appointed by the governor of Wisconsin at one time to be the state emergency management director. And then I went to the federal emergency management agency and I was the superintendent at their national training center. So training is in my background as you let in so nicely of what GP Strategies does. And then I left there and went to the state of Pennsylvania as the governor there appointed me as the state emergency management director. And when that all, that sequence took place, I was the first person in the United States to ever have been appointed a state emergency management director by two different governors, two different states, two different political parties. So (laughs) I got to walk that fine political line here in your interview, Michael. I was going to say, it sounds like you probably are well-practiced in the art of saying no comment is what I'm I'm hearing here with these various players. So yes, I mean, let's face it, you've got some serious specialties, whether it's government, private, you've got all kinds of knowledge to drop on us here. So I've got a few questions for you regarding maintaining business continuity. And like I said, I am truly a sponge on this topic. This is fascinating So first of all, let's just look at this from the high level, Joe. Can you explain the importance of business continuity planning for companies of all sizes? So let's just set the stage there. Great question because you hit two key words, companies of all sizes. I'll go further and say big and small. And everybody needs to be able to perform when there is something that will interrupt company income. And that's what GP Strategies does. We help companies and help them gain more income by training their staff, by helping them perform better in wherever their hometown is. So we uh, we got to think about that, that if you're a small business, and I've done business continuity plans for pizza shops in Washington, D.C., <laughs> and how to keep the business going if it's interrupted. And if you live in the suburbs and you're uh, a significant hazard as if there was some kind of a protest or your pizza shops were cut off from your access. What are you going to do for continuity of operations if they're open a little bit? Some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, You can't keep going because you're going to tire out the employees. Or I could name drop a few of the largest corporations in the world and tell you about their business continuity activities, which are very regulated in some cases. Uh, They come under great pressure to uh, work on on different things. Uh, Just one quick one. You may recall the uh, bad tsunami that took place in Southeast Asia back in about uh, New Year's Day in 2003. I was dispatched by a very large corporation to the president's office of Sri Lanka, to assist them in their recovery process. And they had lost their pretty much their IT system as far as the government and mm. part of the private sector was concerned. So business was down, 
there were many, there were over 30,000 deaths on that island. And uh, the, the continuity of operations, as you nicely said at the beginning, was very disturbed. It was erratic. And uh, I worked for a while there trying to help them put that back together. What I'm hearing you say in terms of the importance is it is it's essential to have plans in a in a wide variety of scenarios. And I'm again, forgive me for coming at this from a fairly junior junior aspect, but regardless, as you said, a mom and pop shop all the way to a large multinational corporation in your mind really should have this on their planning list of something to to factor in am i hearing that correctly yes you should because if uh whether it if mom and pop uh were to have an accident or weren't weren't capable of opening the store someday who's going to open the store where are the keys how are we going to get in and out how are we going to open the cash register who's going to close the shop up that may sound very basic but in some cases there's a very limited staff or some of the the other managers can't get to the location. So you need to write some plans. And I will say, even for a small business, an SOP, a standard operating procedure, that if the boss can't get there, how are we going to open and close this place? And then the boss should hand that SOP to a junior employee and say, can you follow this? I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Can you read this SOP and open the store, close the store, make it safe, whatever the conditions are that might threaten your location? And and the big companies, uh, you've got two types. Mike, just a quick comment. You've got okay. the facilities such as uh, anybody who makes widgets. You've got a factory. You're out in the Midwest. You're concerned about tornadoes, floods, whatever your hazards might be, and or your a consulting company, and suddenly you're a global provider of information services, but how do you do that? If you don't have in today's society, because of the the disparate workforce and the subject matter experts who need to come into a global training company, if your IT system goes down, what's the backup information for the trainer on the ground in the classroom to be able to deliver in lieu of, or not have the satellite beaming down the PowerPoint uh, Mm. over the globe to a class (laughs) of automotive sales engineers in Brazil. How could a company then, Joe, ensure the emergency preparation plans they have developed are effective and efficient? What's your your take on that? I think the take is uh, that, that you've got to practice. And you've got to practice where are the keys? Did we duplicate the keys? Did we move mm. the uh, the vehicles? Do we have the, the locks and the bolts and everything else? And I'll call that a drill. And then you okay. gotta have the management team come together sometimes and do at least I'll call it a tabletop exercise and look at the management relationship, not just within the company, but the external factors that you're going to have to deal with. It could be the media. It could be a regulatory agency. It could be the fire department, depending on what exactly happens around you. And I I bring up fire because it doesn't matter if you're in an urban area or you're in a wild 
uh, a wild area, so to speak, but there's an, an urban wildland interface in fires. Look what's happened in California over the years mm. and the large evacuations that we've seen recently in the last five years, thousands and thousands of people sometimes evacuating twice. What has that done to all those businesses to open and close and protect and restart? So that's a continuity of operations tale that is kind of right up the alley of, of the question that you're asking. So drills for the practicality of what you have to do and the people who have to do it, tabletop exercises. I will tell you that our last large tabletop exercise at GP Strategies was October 26th, and we had an international scenario because we're an international company, and our, it, the, there were some debilitating scenario effects they were right in tune with the international situation in Europe and mm. the war between Ukraine and Russia. There's a lot of questions that I'm sure you're having to ask. So let me just put this over to you. How do you help companies identify potential risks and vulnerabilities in their operations? Because that seems like a big job to me. It seems fairly daunting. It is. And that's probably one of the most difficult things to get people to wrap their, their head around. So you you've picked the difficult start point where people don't want to think about uh, the problem scenarios that they might face. So it doesn't matter, again, you're big or small, but the denial of territory where your business has to operate is important. And I will tell you that there was some years ago uh, dealing with the CEO and his management staff of a very large healthcare system in the Washington, D.C. area, and their one of their most significant facilities was almost across the street from a particular embassy that had frequent demonstrations taking place. And their clientele that was coming to the healthcare facility was often disrupted from getting there. And so that was affecting business, it was affecting services, and that was a continuity of business issue that they hadn't they didn't like talking about it. They they weren't sure how to deal with it, but yet it was uh, it was a serious concern for them. So you have that scenario. I'll give you another one quickly. Uh, I was in Europe uh, for a large uh, computer company, and they had a facility that was very critical to them, and they had key engineers located in the building. And uh, they said, what about an emergency plan here? This is what we got, we're doing. So I started the what if game. And then I walked around the facility. And then I drove a mile or two around the facility. And I didn't have to do any of the driving because within, literally, hard to believe this, that, that facility was a building that they bought. And it happened to be next to two railroad tracks 10 yards away. And I inquired, how often do the trains go by? I said, what's on those trains? Well, we don't know. So I found out that there were chemical cars that would go by from time to time to a factory about a mile away, bad chemicals. And their engineering facility was uh, in the plume exposure pathway had there been a release from the chemical factory. So have you thought about that? What are you going to do? How are we going to mitigate it? And they were going, yeah, you're right. That could happen to us at any time. It sounds like in many cases, then you're coming in as as a Columbo type <laughs> individual. You know, you're you're coming in, you're asking questions. I can see you 
you know, as as you said, you're, you're dealing with individuals that most of us in the the business world tend to have more of that optimistic blue sky mentality. And on the business continuity, you're having to look at things from a rainy day perspective, aren't you? Yes, and thank you for that Columbo analogy. <laughs> I, I should have worn the, uh, my other trench coat for this. Right, uh, you don't have a cigar in your hand or a trench coat, but uh, <laughs> that's what I'm sensing is you're having to you're having to think about some fairly some, some things that most people either don't want to think about or just haven't thought about. Like it's unconscious incompetence. It's a lot of value on that side. Yes, and, and with the laws as they are today, there, there's so much more liability than there was, you know, back in, uh, let's say, post-World War II, the United States, 50s, 60s, 70s. The laws have changed so much since then. I'll just cite you a major turning point in the world. If you, anybody remembers in 1980 when Mount St. Helens exploded mm. in the state of Washington, after that incident was the first time a governor of a state was ever sued for the lack of actions, due diligence, because of that natural disaster. You know, we all think of them as man-made incidents, or I'm sorry. Right. God Force majeure type incidents. things, right. Yes, and uh, by not having proper evacuation plans, uh, the governor was hauled into court uh, on that issue. So whatever your hazard is, you are exposed either as a victim or as possibly a secondary victim because of your perhaps negligence to your employees or your customers. Okay, so when when we're talking about this idea of identifying potential risks and vulnerabilities, in many cases, it sounds like you need to be on site. Am I hearing that correctly? You need to be there. You need to feel the atmosphere. You need to drive, look, observe, much like a, a continuity detective. Is that is that a fair... Is that kind of the workflow pattern over the years you've been doing this, Joe? You get the best results by being on scene or uh, having a colleague who's trusted and knowledgeable being on scene so that you can uh, help not just perhaps advise on a plan or help uh, sometimes. A lot, of, a lot of companies have plans, but they want a third party to review them and see if it's adequate or what are the holes in our plan or and GP strategies can do those things. We also have sent teams in to say, this is your plan. We will, uh, we run the exercise, the annual exercise for them. Okay. Or something okay. like that. So it's kind of like a red team review of their capabilities and are they organized and are they ready to go? So they appreciate that a lot. They get a lot out of that. Oh, I can see it. It's you're taking something off the paper and actually putting it into practice, right? You're uh, to use the football analogy. You're pra you're practicing the X's and O's and, and getting out there. So you know, one of the things I know our listeners love are examples. Can you just share a couple of examples of successful business continuity or emergency management strategies you've been involved in in the past? I would tell you that um, regulated industries, major regional power companies didn't have plans, didn't have or had plans, but they were inadequate. And in the private sector, especially in medium size and large businesses, uh, the organizational structure can change frequently. And you buy a you buy a subsidiary, you sell a subsidiary, and GP does a lot of that too. Uh, the plans have to change and the connections 
And I like to relate that uh, if you've ever read Moby Dick, you know that the man in the crow's nest has literally a web out to the deckhands and the uh, the captain of the ship and everybody else. So there's that web of constantly rejuvenating, refreshing your contacts, your connections, your information. So the regulated industry, utilities, and the pressure is on those groups. Now, to, you know, why isn't my power on? It just went out two hours ago and it should be on. So they're, they're under pressure that they've never been reasonably under until the last uh, 15 years, 20 years, something like that. Um, so that would be number one. I think I would almost call to your okay. attention because it's, it's safety for everybody in uh, today's modern age. Okay, Joe, you've mentioned doing a lot of work with regulated industries. You've also talked quite a bit about the importance of training and drills. So can you give us maybe a an example, again, without naming names, where you've seen the value of regular training and drills for employees in terms of emergency preparedness, but within a regulated industry. So let's say power generation, utility, something like that. I can cite an example in uh, the mid-Atlantic region, southeast part of the U.S., where some years ago, a large, well-known power generator had a really bad ice storm come into the area and it took lines down for a long time people mm. were without power critical facilities fire police hospitals uh, were without power and they received a lot of criticism for that and the element that i'm going to hone in on a little bit is it wasn't that the people in the field the linemen and everybody else didn't do their best effort to uh, put the lines back up and get people connected But the key part turned out to be that the headquarters of this large multi-state utility wasn't as organized as they should have been to support the people in the regional office in the field, because this was some quite some ways from the head office. So the the headquarters, uh, while making some decisions and evaluating what has to take place, also has to have a system of communicating, coordinating and literally supporting and serving with supplies the team in the field. So knowing that there was an ice storm coming, number one, they should have checked more probably ahead of time with the field office, and they should have moved up their teams and every up into the area. There has been a tremendous effort in the regulated uh, power industry to move teams in advance in the last five to seven years. They're there is a whole new coordination capability to do that and mm. exercising and drilling of that line relationship has has been so much better, I, I have to say. Uh, the other one, quickly, we've seen some pipeline outages uh, that have affected the U.S. Uh, gas shortages in the northeast from the pipelines coming from the south. Yes. <laughs> and uh, there's uh, the same kind of scenario It's repetitive because, you know, the power lines come down, the gas lines will have a leak, the water lines will have a leak, and then you have difficulties supporting ongoing business. So whether you're the government or you're a business, uh, those utilities are critical to you. And for your continuity, you need to know when it's going to come back. Is it going to come back? Do I need to buy a bigger generator because 
We have a lot of power outages out here in a rural area where we make or we do mining or whatever that might be. You've got to keep assessing that capability, drills and exercises, training, review of plans. That's what gets you there, Mike. Sounds like there's so much of that football background that's coming in there because you're having to anticipate and practice and drill and rehearse. And as you said, when it comes to utilities, even if you're seeing a storm, you're anticipating it and you're getting people out there even before that storm is hit. They're they're essentially waiting for that ice storm. And, you know, both of us being from the Midwest originally, I, I know we've all seen many of those old power lines going down when the ice gets heavy on them right there. So I can see how that's important. That uh, You're right. The, the offensive team has to know the plays and they have to know them in advance and they practice them. And the defense has to be able to react to what they think the situation will be with what might be presented by the other team's offense. Yeah, it's amazing. You think about a football quarterback, they're, they're throwing that ball before their wide receiver has even made a break. And, um, you know, I could keep going with all these football analogies all day. So I'll probably I'll try not to bore our, our listeners on that one, Joe. But, um, you know, another thing you've been doing this for a long time. You've you've seen a variety of uh, evolutions in, in the world of technology. And so let me ask you this, you know, from where we were, let's say, 30 years ago to now, how have you seen technology play a role in emergency management and business continuity planning? That's a that's an important historical question for for listeners, so that there's there's a couple of operational issues that they get faced with that come out of that technology change. So, very very topical question. Uh, if you look back a decade, a couple decades ago, uh, you had uh, very little, uh, you know, the internet's only been around for 30 years. So before that, uh, and then the advent of the computer age and the ability to project screens in large emergency operation centers and, and maps and status reports and being able to brief people and coordinate people. When people were all together in emergency operation centers, people began to get pretty good at that. Now, technology, as you point out, particularly in the last three, four, five years of COVID have done two things. They have one, push people out of offices. So the ability to alert, notify, assemble, even online the right people, in some places that's harder. Some places it's not too bad, but in some places that's harder. The second part of that is that when people go through more than a few hours of being at home or distant from the center of the operations, the, the CEO who's making the decisions, the ability to keep concentration and continuity and looking ahead, because you can't just say send the police somewhere or send mm -hmm. out one of our teams from one of our, our factories. You've got to prep that before they go, and they may need to have ambulances go along, or they may need the fire department, or let's say you're having them come to your company, you may need to get somebody out in the street or at the end of the block to help that ambulance get there or get through and wave them in so that you have a team ready to help expedite uh, getting the injured on board if some of your employees are hurt or helping to find ways uh, 
to get the uh, the coffee truck through the next morning to open the coffee store. And quickly, I'll tell you that when Hurricane Katrina went through New Orleans, uh, there's some big, big coffee warehouses down there, in case people don't know that, from some <laughs> large, large companies, and you see them advertise on on television every day and uh, their coffee comes in from South America and though all that coffee was trapped in warehouses where the refrigeration the air conditioning went down in Hurricane Katrina and they had to get it out of there and you remember the prohibition on anybody going in and out of the area because the oh, damage absolutely. was so bad so that was a big deal for truck convoys to be assembled and you got a lot of logistics to put together in in a modern emergency management concept today. As a avid coffee lover, I appreciate emergency preparation, uh, readiness in, in protecting my, my cup of Joe. Joe, on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for sharing your insight and experiences on this very important topic. We appreciate you. Thank you, Mike. Nice to be with you today. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.